With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You have a beautiful sense of nostalgia and the meaning we can derive from it to learn about our present circumstances. And I think this comes out in a lot of your songs and your lyrics. I wonder if you've ever felt that way about yourself, that you transform nostalgia into music and art somehow. Well, thank you. I don't really know what I'm doing. I only do what interests me. I only write songs and make melodies that I want to hear back. I'm not trying to do anything for anybody else. I'm doing it for me. Mm. So when you were beginning your career, what were your instincts? I've got on Don McLean, who you probably know him. Don, you probably hear this everywhere, but you probably know him from the beautiful classic song, American Pie, but you've done 40 other gold and platinum records during your career. You tour all over the place. You have a new album coming out, Botanical Gardens, and you're going on tour, again, 30 cities you've mentioned in Europe. Well, I'm always on tour. So, I mean, I have tonight, tomorrow I'm at the winery here in New York, and then I got two more shows, uh, one in uh, New Hampshire and one down in Virginia, and then I go on tour to England, uh, and that's when the tour starts. It'll be like two months, um, and it'll be in England and Ireland, Scotland, and then with two nights in Tel Aviv in at the end in June, and then back to my stateside schedule, and then October I'll go to Europe, and they're booking shows all in different European countries, and uh, probably go to Scandinavia to, as well on that one. And it's a, it's, it's like a two year world tour that I'm on. Don, you're you're seventy two years old. I I can't even imagine going to New Jersey to visit my mom. Like, how are you <laughs> going on tour for two years? Well, all, uh, doesn't it require like so much energy? Like, I'm sure you have people helping you, but. Just even flying around, you get, and- you get more economical as you as you you know you deal with the stresses as you've done this for many many years in a different way than when you're younger. You know, if I had to think about this stuff when I was thirty, I'd be nervous. But now I don't because I just take it like one day at a time. You know, like the alcoholics say, and uh, and that's what I do each but day. If you're doing all these tours, does it give you a chance to like? I'm sure you have many friendships and relationships and so on. Does it give you a chance to mm-hmm. uh, keep your friendships and relationships going? This is an odd no, question, I, I know. I don't have a lot of friendships and relationships. I have my kids. I have my band. You know, I've got other people that I know. But, you know, I, I'm not really good at, you know. But lately, i got to say, with the phone 
and texting and stuff, you know, I keep in touch with people more, probably more than I ever have. I can send them some funny thing. You know, I was told you I was looking at Sid Caesar and like I sent my son a funny Sid Caesar routine that I hadn't seen before. You know, I want to get back to the Sid Caesar thing because mm-hmm. it reminds me of aspects of your entire career. Um, <laughs> really absurd. But, but before the podcast started, you told me a great story. You were in the, the Troubadour in 1972 and uh, a young man came to show off his uh, banjo to you. To tell, yeah. Just tell me that story again. Yeah, well, um, uh, Steve Martin uh, turned up at my... 1972, before he was anybody. At my doorstep and he was playing, had the banjo and I think he wanted to play some banjo for me or... Or something, or he, you know, knew I played. I played a different kind of banjo that he played Scruggs style. I played a kind of folk style banjo. So I guess he wanted to talk banjo, and I think we did a little bit of that. But uh, I mean, a guy like him, he's like, I don't like ma- magicians. They're scary, you know. If you get and around he, and them, he suddenly, started as a magician. I you know you're going to lose your watch, or they're going to take something from you. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's scary, you know. So. I mean, uh, like, uh, who are those two great two guys? Uh, uh, Gillette, Penn, yeah, Penn oh, man. I mean, that, those guys, I wouldn't want to be within a country mile of either of those guys. Uh, Penn Gillette's <laughs> been on the podcast. He's, uh, he's a good guy. Amazing. Um, so talented. So, so did you, when, when you saw Steve Martin, he played the banjo for mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. did you say to yourself, this guy, there's something about him. He's got star quality. Like, did you notice anything special? No, I didn't notice anything. <laughs> um, I just remember seeing him. Uh, and <clears throat> later on, I think I, I might have seen a routine. You know, the funny thing is in those days, I saw Dick Cavett at the bitter end doing his stand-up routine. He wasn't even in, in television. He was a writer, and he was doing stand-up. I saw uh, Richard Pryor being mentored by uh, this guy who used to do this, this Sullivan impression, and I can't think of his name right now. Dick Gregory? Or no, no, he was a... Uh, I can't remember. He had glasses, really thick glasses, and uh, he would do this... I was always on Sullivan doing Sullivan. Uh, maybe his name will come to me as we go along, but he was working with Richard Pryor on his act. Do you remember any of the advice he gave Richard Pryor? No, but... And then we're going like, to get into music, but I, I was curious. I, I, I was a kid. I didn't know anything about working on your act. All I know is I was trying to get the audience to bring me back for an encore, you know, but these guys were taking it, they were doing it scientifically, you know, they were working on the lines and, you know. Uh, Steve, who was the guy? Frank Gorshin? Frank no, Gorshin. it wasn't Gorshin. No, it was a, he was a one-note guy. He just, he just did, so I'll remember him. I, I, I mentioned him in another interview and I forgot him already. Bon no, not one meter. That was Kennedy. All right, so. so uh, I'll remember him. <laughs> so, again, you've done. 40 gold and platinum records. I think almost everybody Well, that's knows. all over the world. See, some, I've had three number one records worldwide, like in every country of the world. So in all those countries, give me gold and platinum records. So that's how that number gets there. So, but but by, you know, by far the American Pie album, 1971, you had American Pie and also the beautiful song, mm-hmm. Vincent. Everyone, if they just... If you if you just hear the first, you know, bye well, bye were, American were, Pie, everyone knows that that phrase. They were really big, and then I had a third album where I put a song out called Dreidel, which did pretty well, top twenty. It wasn't really a hit, but it got a lot of airplay. Then I put out an album called Playing Favorites, and it did nothing, but it had an album, a song called The Mountains of Morn, and that went to number one in England and Ireland. So that was a different 
you know, number one that I had that didn't do it anywhere else. And I suppose it bled over into Australia too, because there's a lot of English and Irish people there. And then I had a time when I was out of it for a while and made a couple more records. Then I made an album with Larry Butler, or two albums, and I had Castles in the Air back on the charts in 81, and I had Crying, which was number one. Now, um, what, what's your, in this whole period, what was your worst selling album? Primetime. Uh, I think it was my worst selling album. It was an album I did for Clive Davis, and I use the song now all the time. And it's a song about America as a game show, which is happening. So I I sort of knew this was going to happen 40 years ago, and now it's happening. So I've dusted that song off, and I do it in the show, and it's a a rock and roll song. And interestingly enough, two of the songs from that record, a song called The Wrong Thing to Do and a song called When a Good Thing Goes Bad, were both used by the very successful rapper Drake, several years ago for a song called Do It Wrong. I think you're even listed as a writer on that song, right? For the, I am um, a writer on that song. I actually own a lot of that song now. The Thank you, Drake. And so that that album, you know, served some purpose to somebody. So, so there's so many different directions I want to go, but I have to ask, do you ever get sick of singing American Pie at every uh, um, tour appearance? I don't get sick of singing it. I, I, it's sad that I'm asked about it so much because they don't, they don't you know, get into some of the other things that are there that are worthy of being talked about. But you know, I understand people's desire to discuss this song, so I, you know, I don't you know, get in a snit over it or anything. I just try to please people and tell them, something new that I can't imagine how I do it, but I often do find something new to say. Well, I mean, it's such a iconic song. It's about yeah. It's about the transformation of, I mean, I'll say what I think it's about. You, I'm telling you. It's about the transformation of, of music and America between you know, 1959 and 1969, really. It really is, those are only metaphors forever. I mean, it's not really located in that time period you know, specifically, it is and it isn't. In other words, it, it'll always apply to the direction mm. that we're headed in. You know, and I again, I'm <clears throat> I'm understanding about this stuff because when I met Johnny Cash, I asked him why he always wore black. So, you know, we tend, to, we tend to ask these questions. You know, what, what did Johnny Cash say to that? He sang me a song about all the questions people ask him. <laughs> Just on the fly, he came up with a song like that? <laughs> well, he's kidding around. He says, I'm going to write a song about all the questions people ask me. Why do you wear black? Why do you, you know, why is your friend Billy Graham? I don't remember the stuff but, he said. But, you know, the, re- the reason, though, I feel like in a lot of your songs, you know, through the decades, and 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 even you just mentioned, oh, you love Sid Caesar now, uh, you're, you're a, a, you have a really beautiful sense of, nostalgia and the meaning we can derive from it to learn about our, our present circumstances. And I think this comes out in a lot of your songs and your lyrics. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way about yourself, that you, you're, you, 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 you transform nostalgia into, into music and art somehow. Well, I thank you. That's, good, that's a good remark, and I appreciate it. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I do try to... First of all, I try to sing about an idea that hasn't been sung about before. Secondly, I try to make a song that's unique that I've never heard before. This the melody is different, this lyric style is different, and all of that surrounds 
the different idea, the different notion or complicated notion than I might have, or a very simple notion. So Wonderful Baby is not like Vincent, or Vincent is not like Castles in the Air. And uh, they're all completely different. But yet they're me, because I only have a certain limit. I have a limit to what I do. You know, I don't do disco, and I don't do, you know, glam rock, and I don't do all these things that are, you know, that require long stretches of music I, i'm very simple it's all pretty much three chords it's except for the old stuff i like old-fashioned popular music i like rock and roll from the 50s and i like folk music and a lot of the rock and roll and folk music are very connected because they're they're close to the farm you know you, all those guys were farm boys every one of them and they all sang in a in a, in a folk blues kind of style. Do you feel there's a more authenticity to that? Like when the, their lyrics are kind of coming it's from... It's just all I understand. I mean, I don't really know how to play the chords. and I'm not interested in this other stuff. I only do what interests me. And I only write songs about things and make melodies and <clears throat> write songs that I want to hear back. You know, I'm not trying to do anything for anybody else. I'm doing it for me. Mm. I wanted to write a song about George Reeves. So I wrote Superman's Ghost. Why? I don't know. But nobody wrote about him. I thought he was an interesting... Uh, curious American story, and so I wrote about him. So, so it's you know you said kind of almost two conflicting things in that you want to write about ideas that have never been um, written about before, and and you know make the music around it using maybe a style or or, or technique that's never been used before, and then at the same time you say. You you like the same basic chords. You're very simple. So, what's well? What, that's that's how you. That's why I'm an artist because I can figure out how to use things, simple things, and make them into what I want. That's and it's very specific, so it's not like anybody else. You know, that's why I do. That's why I get. I'm known. That's why I have my reputation because I can do this. I don't know how I do it. <clears throat> if I could write a book, you know, about it, I would. But I couldn't. Because I, I tell people I get things in on my radio. You know, I'll go for a long time and won't write anything. And then something will come in on my radio. You know, I'll sit up, start writing it down and sing it into a tape recorder. And mm. it's it's a song. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it took a long... I think the first thing that most songwriters, good songwriters, would tell you is that you have to know a lot of other people's songs. Good songs. And... I happen to choose that particular area and those particular eras to because that is what interests me. I know thousands of songs in in those you know in those to, in those type of musical styles. I think I think a comment that's been made about you several times by many of the greats has been that you have this incredible music memory that you I do. do. I don't know how that happened. I can't remember my name sometimes or where I played or anything, but I have a a musical memory that uh is and I like it, you know. I like trying to remember somebody that did something, or and I like show business in in general. You know, I like the the things that go on and the creativity uh, in the movies and television and comedy and <clears throat> like I said, I was and I love YouTube. You know, the last few years I've really had a. I mean, I'm glued to the telephone. You know, I was always looking from one thing to the next. You know, 
and uh, wanting to learn about these people I always liked, but now I can actually find out more about them. Because, you know, for years I liked Buddy Holly, but I couldn't find out a damn thing about him. You know, in the 50s, early 60s, you could not find out anything about anybody. There was nothing. There were no books. All you had was a record album. You could look at the back of that, and you saw the same thing over and over and over. So how do you think you, I mean, at a very early age, you were, you blasted, into into musical space like you yeah. became great pretty quickly how do you think like now people have the benefit of they can listen to a thousand youtube songs mm -hmm. and start learning the guitar you picked up a guitar and suddenly you were touring with the well, weavers and concentration is is the most important thing and i don't think people can concentrate too well with all this distraction furthermore i don't think they really understand what they think they understand when they have so many when it's so easy, you know, you had to study you know, like very carefully uh, what somebody would do on the five-string banjo, and you never saw it played. So you could listen over and over, and you try to figure it out. Of course, you do it wrong. You spend a couple of years doing it wrong, and then someone says, "Oh no, it's like this," you know. Think, oh, geez, so simple, right? That's the thing, and you you. So you put all that time into this, whereas now, oh no, it's done like this. It doesn't mean anything, you know. When you well, find you out, when you find out how that particular banjo strum was done after doing it wrong for two years, that means something, you know. But if you if you have it all at your fingertips on YouTube and with all this um, technology that's available, I don't think it the concentration isn't employed. And the same thing with writing songs. You have to think about this stuff and. Everyone's in a hurry, you know. You, you you gotta move in a timely fashion to reach your goals, but you can't be in a hurry. So so what what do you think? Like the fact that people could uh superficially learn so much faster as opposed to what you did, which is listen to the you know, banjo being played on the radio maybe and trying over and over and failing on over. What what and you you still end up at the same point, roughly or superficially. What do you think is the difference between the your the struggle that you experienced learning and the ease by which people learn today? Well, I think I focused my attention in, in incredibly hard on on a few things to do well, rather than having it splintered and going in a million directions and not doing anything that well. Mm. It's more important to do a few things very very well and to do a whole lot of things in a half-assed manner. And that's a tough thing to get across because people are so anxious to impress each other uh, that they don't spend the time <coughs> learning. Look, for example, I would rather, if I were to look at the piano and say, you know, well, I want to learn to play the piano, I mean, that's a daunting task. I mean, you've got, you know, Horowitz over here, you've got... Uh, his son, you know, got, you got the, what's his name, the seventh son, the guy over there, um, whatever his name was, I can't remember, I can't remember anything. You know, you've got different kinds of piano players, okay? You've got Steve Allen was a good piano player. You have people who are facile, who's the, the actor who was in Jaws, not Jaws, um, the second version of uh, that Steven Spielberg movie uh, with the... The dinosaurs. Uh, oh, Jurassic Park. Uh, who's what's his name? Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, good piano player. You know, you have people who are facile playing the piano. <clears throat> then you have people who are very clumsy and simple. You know, 
And so there's all sorts of ways to go. I, it, it was simple for me because I only knew there was one thing I wanted to know how to do. And I kept working on that. You know, I wanted to know how to, you know, pick the guitar with a flat pick. I wanted to make my, a, a certain picking style with my, you know, fingers. Not a Travis style, but my own thing. I was always working on that. And, uh, and I wanted to learn how to blend the guitar with the voice. Vincent and Castles in the Air are good examples of that. You know, Vincent especially. It's just me and the guitar, basically. Do you feel the guitar was more a vehicle for the things you wanted to say than yeah. vice versa? It took me a few years to realize I wasn't going to be Segovia. You know, I wasn't going to be Carlos Montoya. I wasn't going to be, uh, you know, even Scotty Moore. I, I was going to be a guy that played. And then I met some great acoustic players in Nashville, like Ray Edenton in the 70s. <clears throat> and I said, you know, I want to try to be a real good rhythm guitar player. You know, do other things. But so that's what I do. When I have a, I have a group and I drive that group with my acoustic. Acoustic, the bass and the drums drive the group. And uh, there's a lot of things I do in there to, to do that. So, you know, again, focusing down on, and then primarily I'm a singer and I happen to write songs. You know, I'm not like a guy that wakes up and writes a song every day. But, but the songs you've written, they're, they're, they really are like poems. Well, they've accumulated enough of them to where I guess I'm seen as, an, as a songwriter. But I, I, I'm not a guy that has, you know, 500 songs. I mean, I, I write some an album every few years i work on things you know i have a bunch of stuff i haven't recorded you know and then when you pretty early on you also i think realized the in my opinion you realized the importance of you needed to be able to connect with other people doing what you were doing so you reached out to musicians like the weavers and and you continue to do that then pete seeger later in the 60s well, seeger was the big one because he was so open and uh honest with me and completely i mean i could look through his files you know i could sleep on his couch you know he was how'd you reach out though in the first place these people what gave you the confidence to do that i didn't have to I, it wasn't a matter of confidence it was a matter of uh it, this has got to happen you know it was an, a, an obsession i had to do that i had to be there i've always known where i had to be it's the weirdest thing Okay, so what, what, what does that mean? Considering that you think it's weird is what makes me interested. Well, I just knew I knew I had to, f I knew where I had to be in order to get this to happen. I knew this was going to happen. Meaning a, a career. I or... knew I was going to be, something was going to happen, I, and I was following an instinct that I had. I don't, I don't really do the, the plan, planning thing very well, but I do have plans. I have instincts about where I have to be and what I have to do. So when you were beginning your career, what were your instincts? What were your... Well, I had to know the Weavers, so I called them up on the phone like when I was 15. You just called up and said, hey, is Mr. Fred Weaver Hellerman, there? Who lived in Manhattan. And he's one of the greatest guitar players and singers ever. And, he's, and he was so... He was very, very, very Manhattan, you know? He was a little brusque, but he was also very sweet, very warm, very smart. And I was terrified of him, of course. Most people were. He was very forbidding. He became very warm and loved, loved me. I didn't call too much, but every month or two, I'd call him on the phone. And he'd say, oh, yes, uh, yeah, how are you, Don? You know, what, what, what would you talk to him about? 
oh, you know, maybe a song I heard or how he played a certain thing on the guitar or, you know, how he maintained the instrument, you know, sort of little basic baby shop talk little things because I didn't really know know that much. And um, finally, I, he gave me a couple of tickets to see the Weavers at uh, uh, the new, the brand new Avery Fisher Hall. And uh, the hall never really turned out to be what it was supposed to be. It never quite sounded like they hoped it would. It was the old Philharmonic Hall. And I saw them there. It was a thrill. And I, and then the following year, I saw them at Carnegie Hall, and it was a reunion concert where they had different alumni, people who'd been in the group. They had seven of them. And they recorded that album. It's one of the most important records I ever had, and I was there. And that made me decide to be, that made me decide I did not care about anything but this. I was going to do this. That did it. You know, there were other things that happened along the way. Um, I saw Bob Dylan when he first came to New York, 1962. I saw a lot of different people, but I didn't make up my mind until that day. What, What day, year was that? 1963, May of 1963. The reason I ask is, um, I mean, obviously you're a huge fan of Buddy Holly, mm-hmm. and um, you referred to him earlier in the, in the mm-hmm. podcast. Buddy was dead already, you know. Right, and some, and he was the day the music died. In, but I would in mix things, you know, to me, if you remember, you don't remember, but the charts in the old days when I was growing up, and I was home a lot sick, so I would be months at home when everybody else was out, you know, doing Boy Scouts, I was wheezing. You know, I was at home sick and had pneumonia. And I and the charts were, everything was on those charts. So they had pop, they had blues, they didn't have blues. They had pop, they had folk, they had, uh, you know, Percy Faith, they had, you know, orchestra music, they had Santo and Johnny, they had, you know, rock and roll, uh, instrumental type things. Um, Will Jordan was the guy's name by the way, who did the Sinatra impression. Will Jordan. He had these glasses. Check him out. Um, so that's the way I think about music. You know, I don't think of it in categor- categorically. I think about it all pushed together. And do I like it or do I don't like it? You know. But with Buddy, Buddy Holly created this particular impact on you because, I mean, I know you don't like to talk about the song that much, but American Pie is sort of Kind of seems to be based on, you know, this is the day. It starts with the death of Buddy Holly. Yeah, and I dedicated the album to Buddy Holly, but I never said anything else. I never even confirmed that it was with the death of Buddy. But I do tell people, yeah, how it how it starts, and uh, and then it moves off into a fantasy. Um, but it's a parallel thing. And if you look now, you've got this president. And you've got the kind of spectacle rock with not very much meaning in the music. But lots of fireworks and things going off. And right. So you, you, it's, my theory continues to hold water for me. Because <laughs> here we are at this stage and we have this kind of stuff going on and we have this president. And it's uh, where, where the next phase will go, I don't know. It looks like we're already uh, a, a subsidiary of another country, so we'll see.
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three year period, and I loved it. I loved. I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house. I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything 
than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMS app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. It's interesting to me, and it's not just for music, but it seems true in, in books television like almost you know you know movies uh many forms of art you take a song like american pie or vincent these were iconic songs that are going to live forever like a hundred years from now people are still going to be thinking about and singing the song american pie and do you ever feel that uh for some reason it's just not that that era is over where somebody can make a song or a work of art that's going to last forever. Because of the lack of concentration. Do you think that's true, though? I think it is, and I think it's because of la- they can't concentrate. They can't concentrate because there's too much, as Mick Jagger says, useless information. You know, there's Satisfaction is one of the great songs because it's useless information is wasting our time instead of focusing on ideas and making something uh, that matters you know, to you, your own sandcastle, your, uh, your own little mud pie, whatever. So how, how would you, like if you were, I, I, I know you say you, you don't really, you know, you just tune into the radio and, and things come, but uh, that's also because of decades and decades of, of experience and, and 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 sitting down and doing the work, but if someone's young today and they and they're they're listening to this and they want to say, how do I cancel out the noise? How do I build that concentration? How do I learn to tune into the ideas that are important to me so that I could then express well, you can't in a unique way? The noise out. You have to learn to concentrate with the world as it is, because there was other noises back, you know, in the in in times past that needed to be canceled out. So you can't change the world. You have to. Find a way to focus your mind and your energies on concepts that interest you. You know, like higher concepts than today's headlines. Oh, there's a lot of stuff in the headlines, but you have to be, you have to be, uh, you have to be able to figure out how to turn it around 
and get a hold of it. And that's where the art comes in. I can't tell someone how to do that. You know, you've got to figure out someone to take, for example, a song that Seeger used to sing. It's the title of an album called As Long As the Grass Shall Grow. Now, that's a beautiful idea because the grass, you know, will always come through the cement and come through the, you know, the, the tar and it'll always grow. And no matter how much stuff you put on it and how big the cities are and everything else. So that's, that's the idea, coming up with something that's, that's powerful metaphorically or symbolically. And, uh, you know, Bob Dylan would <coughs> write protest songs and the times they are a change. But he also wrote The Lonesome Death of Hattie, Hattie Carroll, you know, and talk about, a, you know, a, a racist killing and... Um, so the, you would use that. There's, you have to know how to find the right way to get a hold of an idea without being pedantic about it and, and, and just making it obvious. Do you think the world is too pedantic in the sense that everyone just shouts their opinions at each other? Poetry is not dead, but it's, it's on life supports. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of poetry in the world. There's not a lot. You look at the the people now who have made their fortunes for the most part in the tech world is they don't really they more care about having their homes and buildings and restaurants look like their office they never want to leave the office they never want to leave that stainless steel gray anodized area that they love so well and so they take over great old hotels like the Bel Air Hotel and they gut every room and turn it into that, which they did. And, and do you think then um, to kind of experience and express unique ideas, you have to kind of go out there and figure out different ways to, to you know, get out of the noise or experience different noises? I'll tell you one thing is technology is moving so fast and it's moving so fast that I don't think, I think it's really tough to get a handle on everything. You know, we knew what our audience wanted and things were not changing that much. You know, we still had telephones, we still had TV, you know, telephone was still, you know, you had phone booths, you know, it was still newspapers. So, you know, the audience was still within a sort of place. Now it's very, every, every time there's a new iPhone, it's a new world almost. And that's happening every year, every six months. So you're saying it's hard to pin down it's, what yeah, an audience is going to want. It's hard to get a handle on. I think people are, I think it's really tough to find out for people to know who they are in this world, to really be sure of who they are and what they're here for and what they want to do. They have to work for Mr. Big, you know, to do that. And and uh, you might not have an answer for this, but what would you suggest someone who's, who's listening to this and saying, you know what, he's right, I want to start to figure out who... Who I am, so I well, can express myself. Well, the fun part myself. about it is, if you want to, if you want to write songs and you want to be a musician, start from like before 1980 and go way back and start listening to wonderful music by wonderful artists that you need to discover. You know, put the good stuff in your head, and the good stuff will come out. Mm. You know, and read poetry. You know, I used to carry around Shakespeare's sonnets, and I wasn't much of a, you know, I would read different books of poetry but not you know 
<coughs> like my son does. I mean, he's a, an expert. He's almost like a, a scholar. But I, I always carried those sonnets with me. I also carried, it's funny, when I met Pete Seeger, he had just written the lyrics, not the lyrics, but the melody to Turn, Turn, Turn. And I told him a few years later, I said, you know, when you wrote that song, I was carrying the words to Ecclesiastes in my guitar case. I had plans to write a song using those lyrics. Mm. And he just beat me to it. Well, you know, it's interesting because take the Bible as an example, that's obviously a work of literature that's withstood the test of time. It's still around t- people reading it every day, 2,000 years later. Uh, songs written 40 years ago still are like like American Pie are still around 47 years later. Um, do you think there will ever be a time again when something written now is going to survive f- more than even 10 years later? Well, I don't think the big bands are coming back. I don't think there's going to be another Beatles. I don't think there's going to be another Elvis. I don't think there's going to be a lot of things that have come before. I didn't quite know this, but a friend of mine, Joel Dorn, who's a great record producer, said, you know, the bands are not coming back. You know, a lot of things go and they don't come back. And it could be that what we call songs, you know, um, are not coming back, you know, because there's something else that people want that is a form of musical entertainment. And therefore, we who know... But the thing is that YouTube and the, and the internet provide you with a wide open landscape to learn about all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, again, the more you put in your head that's beautiful, the more what you come out with is going to be powerful and beautiful. You know, and, but again, part of it is, like you were mentioning when you were learning, there was this struggle of just figuring out for two years and you're doing it wrong each, you know, pick of the guitar and and you know also when you were when you had developed your first album it was rejected by what was it 72 record labels uh a lot of it is also learning to deal with this kind of rejection and and difficulty and well the other part is you've got to score early i mean you got to make it by the time you're 25 or you're not making it you got to make it today you mean anytime Mm -hmm. you know because you have you have to have that young audience. Those young people out there want a hero that they can love and hold on to, and that's the time. They're the ones buying the records and, and spending the money on this stuff. They're the ones looking for someone that represents them. Older people don't need that stuff. Way older people really don't need this. But Don, you're depressing me. I'm 50 years old, and uh, uh, you mentioned to me before the podcast started when you were 50, you thought about, you know, taking a break, giving up for a while. What 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 were what was going through your head? Well, I thought 50 was old. Now I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> what got you going again? A spring chicken. Um, I don't know. I just thought I, you know, it was maybe time to stop. And I tried doing it, and I couldn't. I was completely addicted to being Don McLean. Well, I, I had to travel. I had to sing. I had to, you know. Did you? Were you afraid people would forget who you were? What's that? Were you? Were you afraid people would forget who you were? Still can't understand. What were you afraid that people that that your oh, voice wouldn't be no, as relevant? No, not that they would forget, but that I would not be myself because I have to sing in order to be me. Huh. I got to be me. Quote Sammy Davis. I got to be me. I got to do my thing. 
And I realized that. And from that for, day forward, there was no turning back. I realized I, I got to be me. I got to do it. I got to write. I got to sing. I got to dance, you know, whatever. I have to do this. I didn't, you know, you, re, you have these realizations. I mean, I've been doing this since I was 15. I never did anything else. I never had a job. I never worked for anybody. I never had a boss. I've been my own boss since I was all my life. So I thought, well, this is, I'm doing this. I'm getting tired of this or bored with it or something. Maybe I'll quit. Quit and do what? <laughs> That's what happened. Huh. I said, you better, I went back being so thankful to have work and, you know, it's never, never a day since, since I was 50 did I ever not want to get to the next gig. Well, and you know, now, of course, 72 years old, you're releasing a new album, Botanical Gardens. Uh, and, going, you know, you're going on this the next two years of touring. Like, you have incredible energy. How was it like writing the songs for this, this album? Well, I'm sticking to an area that's fairly universal, which is, you know, longing and, uh, and, and romance. So it's not like I'm talking about technology or talking about anything that's, that's current. It's, How do you say it, something forever. new about romance? Hmm? How do you say something new about romance? Whoa, that's easy. The French do it all the time. They write hundreds of movies about romance, and they always come up with new angles. That's easy. Huh. Uh, the hard part is writing about, you know, the stuff like you said, what's, what's going on now. Ooh, who can figure that out? So I may come up with something. You know, if the record company wants another album, I'll start, you know, sifting around in my brain and start thinking. Well, when when people cover American Pie, does it ever upset you? No, I'm delighted. Like when Madonna covered it, I like everybody doing as much. Uh, I mean, I don't get you know humongous covers, but I get a lot of recordings of things, and I'm glad for every one of them. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love Madonna. I love Madonna. What about Weird Al Yankovic? The what? Oh, I love Weird Weird Al is the greatest. His was terrific. That was a big boost for the song and funny as hell. He's he's really good. Well, uh, Don McLean, uh, singer, writer, uh, performer of of many songs, but I I I you know you you're probably most known for American Pie, which has been one of my favorite songs since I was a little kid, of course. And uh, uh, your new album, Botanical Gardens, I still can't believe you're, you're putting out such great work. It's, what is this, your fifth decade of writing music. It's incredible. Thank you. And uh, going on tour, I encourage people to find you. Where, where can people find the tour guy, the, the tour list? Uh, you can find that on uh, the website, the official website of Don McLean. You can find that on uh, probably... Polestar, one of those touring sites. You know, there's tour dates of Don McLean. The website's the best place, though, because they have all the sites, the, all the shows around the world. Mm-hmm. All right, well, well, thanks so much for coming on the, the My podcast. Pleasure. And I hope yeah. I didn't ask too much about American Pie. <laughs>
Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.